You're listening to the Names Not Numbers podcast with me, Julia Hobsbawm of Names Not Numbers and Editorial Intelligence in association with the Financial Times. Just say emphasis on uh, Lang because uh, I'm very often confused with Kirsty Young and Kirsty Walk. In fact, I'm so often congratulated on Desert Island Disc, I'm beginning to just like take the credit for it um, because it's just so embarrassing for the person who goes, uh, when I go, actually, that, that's another Kirsty. I'm the one who does front row on Radio 4 and they look so mortified that I'm beginning to say, yeah, yeah, I do Desert Island Disc as well, but I don't. Um, anyway, um, uh, my guest tonight is uh, Tom Hollander, who is also uh, is an actor and is the creator and co-writer of the successful uh, TV uh, sitcom Rev, about an inner city uh, vicar, and we're going to have a couple of uh, clips in a moment. Tom was born and brought up in Oxford, son of two teachers. Uh, his first professional acting role, I think, was in Oliver uh, on stage. Um, went on to have a very successful uh, stage career before um, going into films, uh, Gosford Park, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. He's worked three times with director Joe Wright, um, uh, playing uh, uh, another vicar, Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice, um, a, a clueless classical cellist um, in uh, The Soloist, and uh, a German henchman in Hannah. Uh, he was also in Armando Iannucci's uh, In the Loop, which is a sort of film uh, companion piece to The Thick of It. Actually, Watching Molly's clip of the, the, the film, when you were just going, the thick of it? My God, that was the precursor. Um, uh, lots and lots of uh, TV appearances, and I um, just want to list a few. Uh, Guy Burgess in The Cambridge Spies, the monstrously rude um, agent in the satire uh, Freezing with Hugh Bonneville and uh, Elizabeth McGovern, one of my personal favourites. Um, uh, he was uh, George III in HBO's John Adams. Um, but uh, the difference about... Um, Rev, I think, is that you created uh, uh, Rev um, and uh, co-wrote uh, co it, I, I should say. I don't co-write it. Don't you don't? You You're just the creator. Just, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, you I do the... Oh, right. We're yeah, going to yeah. talk about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it's won uh, lots of... Uh, it's won a BAFTA and numerous other awards. You're the creator of Rev, but yeah. not what the writer. So explain, how does that happen? Yeah. I get to march up and down in, uh, in our writing room and go, why don't we do a story about... Uh, the vicar taking lots of drugs and that being a bit like uh, religion. I research it with James. Um, I get to say, can I say, um, uh, she's like a cuckoo who's also a concert pianist. I occasionally write, uh, you know, little bits which James improves. Sometimes um, I edit it quite a lot. Uh, and the genesis of the project was me phoning him up saying here's a notion for a TV show, and then the two of us researching it together. And so we cook it up together. But he would be very upset if I was sitting here saying, I co-write Rev, because that's not fair. But where did the inspiration come from? Because at that point you had quite a successful career as an actor. What made you um, want to, you know, the, the come up with your own show? Nothing made me want to come up with my own show. Um, Sheer ambition. No, just actually someone said, that sound, that's a good idea for a show. And I thought, oh. So then I rang the only writer who would have taken the call and said, um, uh, what do you think? And he went, yes, it is. James is, very, is a very uh, energised, um, glass-half-full person. I've been more floppy than that. 
um, over the years. Uh, but as we got into it, I then discovered that it... it um, the, the initial idea was just a couple of jokes I'd heard in West London about um, uh, David Cameron and Michael Gove trying to get their children into St Mary Abbott's. Um, I think Molly and I know about that school. So yeah. it was just that. And, um, and I thought, well, what's that like for the vicar? He's suddenly getting invited to lots of swanky parties in West London and he, he didn't get that at Theological College. He's, he's normally hanging out with smelly homeless people. This must be, he must be a bit conflicted, and now his congregation's full of people who don't really believe in God, but gosh, they're quite exciting, and there's Sam Cam, and, and so on. So, uh, that, that seemed amusing in itself. And then, when we started researching it, it became, it, it became uh, clear that their lives are extraordinary, and even though everyone talks about dwindling numbers, they are still, the vicars are still at the heart of uh, the community, and you, through vicars you can touch every aspect of our society and then personally I started to realize that uh, Christianity is quite um, what's useful about Christianity uh, is that it's a, a good way of processing sin your own sin so um, and I got to an age where uh, I felt myself to be um, full of sin and a lot of my friends were as well. And um, was this? Are you trying to say that this was a way of exploring Christianity by doing a sitcom? I'm just saying no. I'm saying it, <laughs> the, uh, the initial idea was, you know, a joke at Michael Gove's expense. It then, as as we got into it, and I was forced to think about it because I was co-creator and had to come up with some ideas. I then started thinking, well, actually, this is this is interesting. And I'd never, I hadn't thought about, you know, religion ever really. Um, and I was at an age where quite a lot of people, uh, several friends of mine, had ended up in AA or NA or sort of actor territory. It's, it's, that's all about Christianity as well. And so this is a sort of, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's possible to do that and earn money out of it at the same time. Um, no, I didn't, but it is, it is the same thing. Was, and was getting the tone right about religion? Because it's a very affectionate portrayal of, of, of the Church of England, isn't it? Um, it is, because uh, my family are um, sympathetic to it. Actually, that's not the reason. The reason was I didn't want to be in a sitcom, even though I'd thought of an idea that was essentially a sitcom idea. I wanted to still be, you know, Steve McQueen, and so was trying to force the genre into something that would uh, support drama as well as, you know, blatant comic sequences like, like the one we just watched, the dancing one. Um, so I was going, no, it's a drama. I wrote a sort of story outline initially, which was a sort of film treatment, and James went, no, that's a sitcom. And I went, is it? Oh, isn't it a drama at all? No, it's a sitcom. Maybe it's a comedy drama. It's a sitcom. No, but maybe it's a comedy drama in 30 minutes, which is actually what it is. And every episode we try and have a moment which is, uh, which is about grace uh, and, is a, and, where we're, and about faith. Faith is never mocked in it. The institution of the church is mocked and the people that... We're doing a story about an, uh, you know, the normal guy who's surrounded by kooky people. That's what... Normally, the vicar is the most kooky person in the room. He certainly is in Pride and Prejudice, if we're going to see that. But in Rev, um, 
we try and make him the, 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 the normal person. Um, and there's quite a strong element of social realism, if you like, in yeah. there as well, isn't there? I mean, you've got yes. your, you know, your homeless person and yeah. <laughs> with alcohol problems. Well, we're t we, we've, yeah, it's, um, as I say, it's, we're, trying to sh we're trying to show the world as it is. Uh, the, the urban, uh, multicultural, multi-ethnic inner city. Um, that's, and we chose our director... Uh, to do that, Peter Catania, who directed The Full Monty, which actually has a, a similar tone. If you um, take the jokes out of The Full Monty, you're, you're left with a, quite a, a social realist story about post-industrial, depressed, you know, Leeds or Sheffield, can't remember which, but um, starts with a suicide, doesn't it? Um, so he understands that tone very well. He knows he has the right sensibility for it. And Peter's, Peter's as much a part of that as anyone else. It's a team event, Rev. How unusual, though, is it um, uh, for an actor to have that amount of control uh, uh, over what you're doing? Um, it's, it's not unusual in uh, uh, Hollywood, I don't think, um, where those... Big big stars um, get to control everything. I'm thinking of you know Ben Stiller or Tom Hanks or something, or Tom Cruise even, uh, who's not that small by the way. Um, uh, I um, but as for a sort of you know at a, at a kind of jobbing TV level in England, that's been a wonderful thing. I didn't. Uh, it was just it was just because I started it with a friend. And then we knew I'd also got, I'd also become old enough and had been to enough parties to know who to call. Uh, so our producer, Kenton Allen, is a very brilliant chap. And, you know, I knew Kenton. So I called him up and we did it with him. Did you ever anticipate it would be this successful? No, no. I was rather hoping we would just do one episode and then it would stop. Um, but uh, Kenton and James, both very, very energetic, um, hardworking and now we're on our third series. We were talking earlier about uh, you know, House of Cards, being able to download these things immediately and so on. Are you, are you much more aware now of people watching Rev um, on iPlayer, or, you know, downloading it and watching it all in one go? Um, I was aware... Yeah, people said, oh, I missed it a lot. I'm, and then I can go, well, it's, you can get it on iTunes. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not that au fait with the whole change in the uh, media landscape. I'm aware that people watch box sets. Um, I never seem to find the time to watch a whole box set. Uh, but um, this is sort of strange, Rev. It's, a, it's got a family, very family demographic. It's got um, in its audience. Uh, and I, I think it's probably split 50-50 people that watch it when it goes out and people who pick it up later. Um, but it means, yes, you, people can buy it forevermore. How did it feel to be turned down by Kira Knightley? Oh, <laughs> she was too young. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, watching... I mean, clearly you've had a very, very fruitful relationship with Joe Wright um, uh, since then. Uh, but one does hear uh, more and more that television 
is a more interesting medium. You have get better roles. Are you offered more interesting roles now in well, TV than you are? I am. Film? I am because I think it's my age is um, uh, suits it, uh, and films I think tends to be made these days for kids, um, the generation of people that would have watched a Woody Allen film, I think, are watching the box sets. And the demographic that film is, is going for is, is young. Um, so as a middle-aged person, you, you know, you're hoping that somebody asks you to do Breaking Bad, I suppose, or that you get involved in that. And strangely, the people, the same people that would have created that explosion of energy in the early 70s in Hollywood, writers, directors, they, they are creating energy in television. Um, and I don't know why that is. It started with HBO, didn't it? A sort of HBO-led revolution. And that's, that's great. Um, my American agent says, you should do... You should come over here and you get your own TV show because, or you know, you hope to get, you hope to do what Damien Lewis has done or Dominic West or whatever. Um, I never really want to do that because I can't. I don't want to be. Well, a, I can't. I don't have a square jaw like they do. <laughs> and b, I never. I don't want to be stuck on the back lot of Warner Brothers, painted orange with a strange haircut servicing someone else's culture and get a, a f phone call about, you know, my parents and not be able to leave the set because I'm under contract for six years. And you do have to sign these unbelievably long contracts, don't yeah. you, on the whole? Yeah. Though apparently you can get out of them if you make enough fuss and pretend to be mad. I, I, um, <laughs> I, did, I did a couple of pilots um, and was very frightened both times that it would get picked up. Thankfully it didn't. Uh, and on the second of them, I had worked out that I was just... I started practising pretending to be a chicken and scratching the ground <laughs> with my foot. And uh, just that's what I would do if it got picked up. And then they'd have to take me out for compassionate reasons. <laughs> Dominic, Dominic West, I know... Um, well, you know this, I think, yes. Yeah, was trying to get out of the wire right <laughs> from the outset. In fact, I think he even sacked his agent because he, cause she'd got him involved in a television series. Um, a TV show instead of uh, becoming a film star. Um, Didn't she promise him? Don't, she said, "Don't worry, it won't go beyond one season. Nobody will ever recommission no, this." Say, yeah. Five years later, he was still in Baltimore. But of course, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to him. So um, these things, it's best not to not to try and control it too much. But I think his part got smaller in it because he was always trying to go home, and they got <laughs> bored of trying to persuade him not to. There is this extraordinary thing that happens in Los Angeles of the, of, of the pilot season, isn't there? If you, of, 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 I mean, have you ever been involved in that? I mean, just uh, explain how that works. I have done it w once for a bit. There's just a lot of television scripts. Andrea Wong, are you here? <laughs> yes, she should really be talking about this. Do contradict me if I say anything that's simply not true. But they just try, you know, there's a period in the year which I think has shifted slightly, but it used to always be in January and February where a lot of... Um, TV shows are started and they pick up, you know, they make, I don't know, 200 and they have a go at making nine of them and, uh, and then they cancel quite a lot of them and a few, a few survive. Um, and it's quite a brutal process if you're an actor going 
to endless um, endless meetings for those things. I, d I don't actually. I think these days you can probably sit in London and do it. You don't have to be there. Um, Just record yourself on your iPhone and send it over. You can do that exactly. Yeah. You don't even have to yeah. leave your bedroom, or you can and you can do interviews <laughs> on Skype. That's that's I suppose the best thing. Of this that's where the connectivity is useful. Um, but I, I but also you know the casting directors in London can you go in you do your audition you can see Hugh Laurie's audition somewhere on YouTube oh yeah for House <laughs> uh, which I find um, I find it's uh, if you're ever thinking oh. I don't know. You look at him, it's quite moving. He's there, he's clearly very famous here, he's unknown there, he's had to go in with his pages, learn his lines, and like a child, show them that he can do it. And, uh, and it's Hugh Laurie. And he's being, he's being brilliant, but you can also detect his, um, his loathing of the experiences he's seen, <laughs> which, is, which is in him as a person. Um, and obviously he's found a part in which he can express it maybe this what is what is this 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 demand for for, for british actors and in particular old etonians i don't it's know. quite it's extraordinary just, isn't it it is i'm sure it's just an accident i don't think there's anything that can be concluded from it unless somebody wants to create some spurious argument but uh, i don't know you know there's just there they're jolly confident. I don't know. <laughs> well, while we're talking about um, LA, let's, uh, th that takes us on to Pirates of the Caribbean. Just the first minute of this, much as I'd enjoyed seeing more. Literally. <laughs> no idea. Does anyone know but, what's going on in that scene? It doesn't there's matter. No, it's, it's, there's it's, no you know. plot at all. No, bizarre. <laughs> but I mean, that, Pirates of the Caribbean, that defines the huge Hollywood blockbuster. Yes, yes, exactly. That was fascinating to witness. And there's Johnny Depp, for goodness sake. Let's talk about him. Yeah, yeah, what's uh, he really like? No, genuinely no. <laughs> glamorous. He's lovely. Uh, but yeah, what was, was that experience child. like? That was amazing. I, I found it was like watching... Um, it was so decadent, the expense of it. Uh, uh, it was pre... Actually, I'm, they're still making huge films like that, so I dare say it's the same. I was going to say it was a pre-credit crunch event. but Examples of decadence? Oh, uh, you know, just the sheer logistical complication of getting everybody to a strip of sand that was only exposed for two hours in the day that the director had seen on a helicopter scout, and it was all white, and he wanted to do a Sergio Leone um, sort of homage, uh, but we could only film on it two hours a day, and all the principal actors were coming from four corners of the earth. And the unit base was six boats tied together, 40 minutes sail out into the Caribbean, and then the set itself was 40 minutes from there. Um, we were all staying in the Four Seasons. We all turned up. I came from Bombay. Uh, actually, because I was getting paid so badly, I used to... I resented it so much. You were being paid badly uh, on that? I was that. being paid badly, but the, the production was staggeringly expensive, so I used to get my own back by being as far away as, <laughs> uh, as, as I possibly could. <laughs> So that when they changed the schedule and needed me at the last minute, I go, "That's fine. I'm in Calcutta." And then they go, "That's no problem." And uh, I would be airlifted out of the third world into a Lufthansa first first class with the fingers and flies scratching at the door as they closed the first class, and off we went. And uh, we'd go back, and and on one occasion, that actually that that in the exhumers. We got there. We all Bill Nye had come from wherever he'd come from, and Jeffrey Rush had come from Sydney, and we met. And we used to meet in the smoking, the smoking room of Miami Airport, uh, which is always full of actors, because um, obviously everyone else has given up smoking, but actors are 
still so anxious they have to smoke. <laughs> and then we'd go on another little plane and then we'd get, you know, and then another little boat and finally we'd get to our, um, our bed and then they said, Johnny's got flu, he's not coming. <laughs> and Johnny had flu and then Johnny was told to have flu for a bit longer so they could make an insurance claim. And then, and then we all went home again and our, our air miles cranked up. I've just finished my last air miles. Five years later. Um, <laughs> and then we reconvened and shot the scene again, I think nine months later. Comparison with In the Loop, which we don't have time to show a clip of, but um, I mean, it's very oh, small. Oh, no, budget. that's the best one, never mind. Is it? The, well, it's, the, okay, it's certainly right, the best writing. There's a... But no more than a minute. Yes, very little of it, a tiny bit. <laughs> All the whole thing. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> so, uh, presumably a very different experience. Yes. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Well, quicker, much quicker, and I had a much bigger part, so much more fun. Um, and yes, those all the world of Armando, who, um, which was that was a joy to be part of that. Um, I then moved into Revland, which is is different from Armando Land because Armando is brilliant and sort of coruscating and satirical and but quite arid. Um, because he's he's not uh, he's he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't like saying um, he's not remotely showbiz Armando. He's a satirist. He's a sort of journalist satirist. He's not a showbiz person. So he's not, and he would say, "I'm not a lovey," which means nobody says "well done" at the end of the tape. Right. That's what it means. <laughs> uh, which sounds funny, but is actually quite quite um, bleak. So when, Which, you're, so so when um, you're doing Rev, who, who says well done to you? Uh, well, obviously I'm controlling it, so yeah, everyone right. says, so, everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone who's not me, <laughs> says, yeah, says, Tom, that was brilliant, would you like to do it again? <laughs> um, and you're about to start shooting another series, you've got, or you've done it? It's coming out. We're no, no. We're thinking about it. Oh, you're thinking uh, about it. Okay. No, the, unfortunately, the, what we've done has gone too well, and so the idea of doing it again is, is you know, terrifying for everyone because we can only let everyone down, particularly our fans. So we're taking a long time preparing it, and we have got a storyline uh, now. So we're going to shoot it uh, next January, and it'll be um, out September with luck, September two thousand fourteen. And it'll be the end of uh, of, of that life um, in in, in uh, St Saviour's with those people. And just finally, I, I want to ask you about your um, uh, your writing for the Spectator, which I know you do write yourself. Don't just create. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I wondered if you can do any more of that because I particularly enjoy those, particularly uh, some very amusing stories. An encounter on a train in America, um, which you wrote up, and lots of stories like that. The uh, <laughs> well, do you want me to you want me to praise that story? Just so praise it for us, and then we'll, we could. It's a nice little story. It's to a story on. about meeting somebody on a on a train and and having sex with them. Um, <laughs> so there's but it's no very way. Of, funny how how do I, why is it funny? Can't think. It just sounds sleazy and awful. <laughs> Just blow uh, that one. Okay, go it online a, and it read it. A, okay, it's hysterical. <laughs> it was a, it is it is quite sleazy actually. Um, <laughs> I recently met somebody who um, I, I thought was rather marvellous, and uh, I showed it to her. Um, say, I, I write as well, you know. And uh, 
And she read it, and uh, it set, set things back about <laughs> a fortnight. Because um, she, she quite rightly suspected me of being um, you know, a form of sex addict. I did write 15 years ago um, at the beginning of it. It's a disclaimer. Um, it, what was it about? It was a sort of male fantasy of me to, of being on a train. And all the spectator pieces, they're not, they're all, the re I would do some more if I could think of any. It's always a joke. The joke is, I thought I was so marvellous and then I got my comeuppance. Every, every piece is that. It, it was all going so well and then I, I walked into the lamppost. Um, and so uh, I need to think of a different joke. Um, but there, so when I've thought of another joke, I'll do Well, do I hope another. you'll do yeah. some more. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, but Tom Holder, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, That was the Names Not Numbers podcast. There are many more on namesnotnumbers.com. Thank you for listening.